From the archives of the East Oregonian, we bring you the murder of Sheriff Till Taylor. A hundred years later to the day, we'll take you through the sheriff's story, the events leading up to his murder, and the manhunt that ensued for the men responsible. I'm your host, Alex Castle, and I'm joined by our producer, Ben Lonergan. We left off episode six with all five fugitives still out large. Jim Owens and Neil Hart had held up a French sheep herder on the Union County side of the Blue Mountains, while Lewis Anderson and Richard Patterson were hiding near Camilla and Jack Rathy had made it all the way to Somerville. Rathy had made it there with a posse right on his heels, but on the morning of July 31st, 1920, he couldn't outrun them any longer. About 20 miles from Pendleton and three miles from Gibbon at a spot called Garden Ridge, the posse, armed with rifles, found Rathy lying exhausted on the side of a hill. Without attempting to fight or flee, Rathy rose to his feet as a party of ten men approached him, rifles pointed his way. What's your name? One of the men demanded. I'm Rathy, was all he replied as a group quickly and roughly detained him, making sure he fit the physical description on the wanted poster all the way down to a bullet scar on his shoulder. The group tied him up with rope, took him to a nearby cabin, and sent word back to Pendleton for reinforcements and a transport. As Ernest L. Crockett wrote in his book, The Murder of Till Taylor, Rathy was brought down from Gibbon by train and spirited into the county jail from which he had escaped. He had only eaten six times in six days, having been closely pursued for the third day on. His shoes were worn out and his clothing was badly torn. A week's growth of beard added to his disreputable appearance. As soon as Rathy was behind bars, the interrogating officers sought information from him regarding the whereabouts of the other four. He confirmed to the men that they had separated on the second day and that he had been going alone ever since. He said that conversation among the two pairs, Owens and Hart and Patterson and Anderson, was to the effect that they wanted to make it over the hill and get into the desert country from where they could escape to Mexico. He said Owens and Hart were tough and had plenty of ammunition for their guns, but that Patterson and Anderson were easier to get along with. Back on the summit of the Blue Mountains, Anderson and Patterson, perhaps growing weary of trying to evade capture, walked up to a sheep camp and just asked for food from two men stationed there. John McCartan and Barry Devlin, two men from Hepner who were tending the camp, were suspicious that the two men were a part of the jailbreak. There was no time to grab one of their guns as the two men approached. McCartan and Devlin fed the two, questioning them without revealing their obvious suspicions. The men let Patterson and Anderson leave, but just as they were beginning to depart the campsite, one of the men grabbed a gun and followed them, catching up and taking them captive while at gunpoint. The two men led the fugitives down the hill to another party of men who searched Anderson and Patterson before stuffing them into cars and driving them back to Meacham. There, they stopped for a quick meal, and then a posse of Pendleton men took control of the fugitives and brought them back to the city, where they were initially lodged in the municipal jail. But earlier that morning, Union County Sheriff Lee Warnick and his party were bearing down on Owens and Hart. As the party were tracking the men just after 2 a.m., one of them tripped over a body that was wrapped in a blanket. It was the French sheep herder who was roused awake and was asked whether there were any strange men in the area. While audibly replying that he had not, the man gestured toward the opening of the tent, where with flashlights, the party came upon two men wrapped in blankets, sleeping. Not taking any chances, the posse men stuck their revolvers into the men's bellies, waking them and demanding they gave up their weapons. As Crockett wrote, Owens responded instantly in the darkness and reached down under his jacket on the bed for his pistol. He was straightened with a kick, and as he was jerked to his feet again, his other gun fell to the floor. Hart was supposed to be the guard, and Owens cursed him with a string of oaths. Hart had been so exhausted that when he had sat at the tent door with a blanket around him, the warmth of the room put him to sleep. He was still drowsy when more men came into the one-room cabin tent, 
now all realized that they had captured Hart and Owens. Owens kept struggling to free himself in the cabin and was lit only by the flashlights. But finally, another man with a carbine shoved it into his ribs and growled, Move another inch and I'll shoot you dead in your shoes. Owens and Hart were then tied up and taken to the Union County Jail in LaGrande. While there, Hart confessed in custody to firing the fatal shots that took the life of Sheriff Till Taylor while his partner, Jim Owens, had urged him on. The news passed back to Pendleton as arrangements were made to bring the two fugitives back to the Umatilla County Jail later that day. Though relieved, Sheriff Jinx Taylor and Umatilla County authorities now knew they were facing another challenge. As Crockett wrote, As soon as the news broke, men congregated at the courthouse and on the street corners discussing what should be done with the murderers. The lynching fever was running high, and with Rathy, Owens, and Hart in custody, different groups of men ordered different plans. Considered was the possibility of chartering a special train to bring the outlaws back to Pendleton, a distance of 50 miles, because of the threatened lynching which could take place anywhere on the highway across the mountain. This was discussed by the officers who talked by phone between Pendleton and Legrand, as District Attorney Keeter made a statement to the newspapers and before groups of angry men, saying that the entire chase and capture of the three most notorious criminals had been accomplished without the shedding of blood. He called attention to the fact that the new law providing capital punishment in all probability would lead to the gallows. He urged restraint. The new law passed only a few months before acted as a mitigating argument to many who otherwise would have had no hesitancy in joining a lynching party. The appeal made by Reverend Lockwood at the funeral of the sheriff had profoundly influenced the Pendleton attitude, but now his plea was rudely pushed aside by those who demanded instant retribution. First-degree murder charges will be filed against all of the jailbreakers, regardless of who fired the fatal shot murdering the sheriff, and I pledge my best efforts to see that these men get a speedy trial for first-degree murder and to see that justice is done, District Attorney Keeter stated that day. With the crowd still angry, Jinx Taylor slipped away with his two trusted friends, Roy Rayleigh and Asa Thompson, to drive to Legrand and return with Owens and Hart. The two men were brought back to Pendleton, handcuffed and manacled together. To protect them from the mob, there was a ruse to distract attention, and Owens and Hart were smuggled back into the county jail with others not knowing. Meanwhile, Patterson and Anderson had first been taken to the city jail. Then, that night, they were hustled back into an auto and driven near the courthouse. Here, an escorting party and the two prisoners moved forward on foot. They had their handcuffs removed and were given empty rifles in order to deceive the crowd as they were snuck into the courthouse. In the moonlight after 10 p.m. that night, the mobs learned all five men were now in the courthouse. Nooses began to be tied, and some grabbed a heavy log that could be used as a battering ram to knock down the front door. As Crockett wrote, the men milled about outside, leaders in each group pressing for action. Tension was building, and the pent-up explosive forces accumulated during the week were reaching a peak as the terror-haunted night wore on. Up the wide steps to the north portico surged the men from the courtyard. At that moment, above them, coming from the open courthouse front door, appeared a figure with a bared head and in shirt sleeves. It was past midnight. It was dark, but by the reflected light of the full moon, the glint of a star could be seen on his left breast. It was Jinx Taylor, the brother of the slain sheriff, now acting in his steed. The new sheriff was accompanied by a man with a carbine in hand, but he himself was unarmed. Boys, he called out as a silence hushed over the crowd. Boys, Till would not want you to do this. If Till were alive, he would insist that law and order prevail. And if you respect his memory, 
you will do as I ask. Disperse and go home. There were tears in his eyes, and his careworn face in the dim light reflected the sadness of his mood. There was not the slightest tremor in his voice as he continued. Rest assured, justice will be done, and that speedily. Though the new sheriff did not have the reputation of his slain brother, nor his commanding stature, the crowd seemed to realize the moral courage it took for him to protect these murderers from the hands of an avenging mob. The lynching crisis was over. The five men were interrogated early into the morning of August 1st. Hart spoke freely of firing the fatal shot and that Hart and Owens had received some help on the second day of their escape. Each of the prisoners spoke, except for Owens, who sat in silence, smoking one cigarette after another. In the days and weeks that followed, there was still debate among the community about what punishment should be for the men responsible. But ultimately, all five were charged with first-degree murder by a grand jury in early September that year. Four of the men pleaded not guilty that day, while Hart, who had already confessed, pleaded guilty and was sentenced to hang in Salem on November 5th. Later that month, on September 28th, Patterson and Anderson would go through a four-day-long trial. The question facing the jury was whether these two were involved in a conspiracy to kill Till Taylor. The verdict was guilty, and the two were sentenced to life in prison, though that sentence would later be commuted after serving just over 13 years. In the days that followed Patterson and Anderson's trial, it was difficult to find a jury for Owens and Rathy because local men held such a strong opinion about them. Finally, after 61 men were considered, a jury was sworn in, and on October 8th, Owens and Rathy were sentenced to hang, found guilty of deliberate and premeditated murder during the commission of a felony. Two days later, on October 10th, all five prisoners were put onto a westbound train for Salem and lodged into the state penitentiary. The sentences of Owens and Rathy were appealed all the way to the Oregon Supreme Court, and after many delays, there was finally a decision in June of 1921 to set the execution date for October 21st later that year. However, more delays pushed the execution back until finally the two were hanged on July 7th, 1922. With justice served, in the following years, the Till Taylor Memorial Association was formed, raising over $25,000 to create the Till Taylor Memorial Park with a heroic-sized statue of the sheriff mounted on his favorite horse. An internationally known bronze sculptor from France who had attended several roundups was commissioned for its creation. Seven years later, word came from Paris that the statue was done. It was brought from Portland on trucks along the Columbia River Highway. A 33-ton base of granite was placed in the park. And then on September 18, 1929, the statue was unveiled on the first day of the Pendleton Roundup. In attendance that day were Till Taylor's widow, Claire, his son Sheldon, and his grandson Tillman, along with his granddaughter and many other relatives. A beloved and revered man, both for his character and his 18 years of service in Umatilla County, the story of the manhunt that followed the shocking murder of Sheriff Till Taylor still stands unparalleled in both magnitude and significance a hundred years later. Thank you for listening to the murder of Sheriff Till Taylor, and keep your eyes out for more content from the East Oregonian on the story of the sheriff, his murder, and the manhunt that followed coming later in August. <laughs>